Turning to Isaiah chapter 8, please. The 8th chapter of Isaiah. And we're reading from the verse 16. Isaiah chapter 8 and the 16th verse. Bind up thy testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob. And I will look for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when they, and I want you to notice the emphasis on the they, And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Those words there, peep and mutter means to murmur whisper moan just before we go any further would there be any possibility that some of you were muttering and moaning and criticizing in the week that is gone Is there any of you, is the Spirit speaking to any of you here this morning that would have been muttering and moaning about the work and the elders and the church? Maybe we should stop here and ask the Holy Spirit to convict and that there might be repentance. Because the bringing down of a work starts with muttering and moaning behind doors and in houses and homes. And it's not going to happen. I'm just asking, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. We read this verse again. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, Known to wizards that peep and mutter and moan and whisper. Should not a people seek unto their God? You'd be better seeking God, wouldn't you, in the prayer meetings? For the living to the dead. To the law and to the testimony. That's the second time you get that in this reading. If they speak not according to this word... It is because there is no light in them. And no light means no light. And no light is darkness. And they shall pass through it hardly bestead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward and they And you'll get they, one, two, three, four, five, six, at least six times. And they shall look onto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. We know that the Lord will bless the public reading of his own inspired word. We, in my estimation, 
never lived in a day or an hour when the fundamental evangelical church in our land is under such attack. Under such an attack and an onslaught from the enemy. Now, I don't think that we ever lived in a day when we were more, more inadequate to deal with the attacks that are coming upon us. If you watch, your, watch round and consider what is going on in the evangelical church, you will conclude, as I have, that modernists and humanists and liberalists and ecumenists and all theists seem to have all joined together, endeavoring to dismantle and destroy the old foundational biblical truths. The old truths that uh, the martyrs and the covenanters and the reformers bled and died for. These are enemies of the gospel and especially the enemies of the cross. They're hammering at the cross work of our Lord Jesus. The enemy, the devil, no longer attacks from the outside. He tried that and it failed with persecution because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But he's doing it from the inside. And Jude says in the last days that certain men will creep in unawares who are, who are ordained to condemnation. That word crept in is, is actual rendering of it as a slip in by the back door. And Jude says they'll slip into the congregation to the back door and they'll turn the grace of God into a lie and deny in the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 11. Speaking about Eve, the serpent slipped in subtly to destroy the simplicity of Christ to corrupt and contaminate the simplicity of Christ. That word in 2 Corinthians, solicit is simplicity means the unmixed, unadulterated, pure, simple doctrinal truths, to corrupt them. And it's happening in our pulpits. It's happening in the pews. And it's happening amongst leadership. The man may have a collar on him and he may have a suit on him. He may have a tie on him. They may, he may have a skirt, you may, a woman may have a skirt on them and a hat on the King James Version. They smile and they break bread and they say amen. But we have the ability and the discernment to identify that amongst us there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There's the chaff amongst the wheat. There's the leaven amongst the bread, and when the opportunity arises, they'll strike. I have experienced that. We have experienced that in 34 years here. The context here is, in the eighth of Isaiah, is an example of what I've said. Israel has mixed and formed an alliance to fight against the remnant of Judah. Israel's defenses is down. God has turned his face away from them because of their sin. And whenever the walls go down and God turns away, anything can happen. And God is angry with his people. And God is always angry with the people when we go down to Egypt for help and we forsake him and look to other things for help. When we refuse to trust him, God will not play second fiddle. It's either all or nothing. I have Muhammad and I have Christ, a boy said after praying some sort of a sinner's prayer. I tell you, he had neither. 
And if I'd have been there that day when that boy said that, I'd have told him, you have neither. Muhammad will not bring life to you. He'll bring death to you. And Christ will not bring life to you unless you repent of your sins. You can't have both. This portion and paragraph that we read this morning, verse 16 to 22, is a tremendous portion of Scripture. And only I'm not here next week, I'd come at it again. It is a historical, practical, prophetical, devotional a paragraph of Scripture. It tells us in these verses what we, the remnant of God's people, in this 24th century in the church need to do. In 17 to 20, and 21 to 22 tells us why we need to do it. There's an urgency. Now I want to take time this morning and I want to expound these verses that have been laid so heavily upon my heart. And I want us to use the Word of God now this morning. What does the Word of God say? Once we get away from the Scriptures, from the expository Scriptures, and there's very little expository preaching anywhere today, there's a famine of hearing the Word of God. But yet there's a hunger amongst many of the people and amongst the young people. I brought down an armful of Tozer's and Ravenhill's books here. I was down in Fermanagh doing a bit of business the other day, Pat and I, and I went to Gowan and I gathered maybe 20 or 25 books of Tozer's up and Ravenhill's up. I brought them down here and they came round them, them young, these young people, God bless you, keep reading. They came round them like, 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 like wolves, boy, and there's two left. And I'll go back and I'll bring more. There's a hunger amongst so many for the Word of God. And as old Milton, the English poet, said, the hungry sheep look up and they're not fed. So they wander from here to here and they start a wee assembly here and another wee assembly there and and they say, the Lord has guided me. It's a delusion in most many places. Let's look here at what we need to do collectively as assembly to counteract this modern trend and stop these damnable heresies that are slipping in to our churches in these days. In verse 16, watch the word now. Bind up the word. Bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. The word bind there is to preserve it And the word testimony is to proclaim it. Now, there's nothing complicated about that. Let me say that again. The word bind is to bind it up to secure and to preserve it. And the testimony means to proclaim it. To bind up, to bind up means to tie up tight. And I was looking at different renderings on this and some say that to tie it up tight and wrap it like a parcel, a parcel that contains something precious. An illustration was given of sending a precious jewel or a diamond overseas. Every precaution is taken to seal it that nobody can touch it, tamper with it, damage it, steal it, or lose it. And it's not only the leaders that are supposed to do this, it says in the end of the verse, among my disciples. So that's all of us this morning. This is the way we are to guard the Word of God. And on the pair of our life, We must not tinker or tamper with it or add to it or take away from it or dilute it. And that's what the modernists do. What we have to do is to bind up. What do we have to bind up? What do we have to bind up that's inside this parcel? The law, all the words of the book. The testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to preserve it and to proclaim it. 
in its entirety, in its fullness. Paul says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, or me in my chains. We must boldly preach the word undiluted, in season and out of season. The modernists and the ecumenists hammer at this. They come in and they hammer the work of redemption, the incarnation, substitution, the atonement, the resurrection. We need to stick to the Word of God and to what we have in our Constitution regarding the Word of God. It speaks in the Constitution about His virgin birth, His virtuous life, His vicarious death, His victorious resurrection, and His visible return. And we need to keep preaching and preaching these old truths. This is the most precious pearl that we will ever have, apart from Christ in our heart. His word is precious. It's revealed even above his name. Can you believe that? Above the name Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai, above the name. This book is revered above it. God help the boys that tamper with it. And tinker with it. And cut bits out of it. Of that many translations, it'll take five 40-footers to draw them out of Northern Ireland and draw them all out and burn them. We need to get back to the old word of God. His word is precious. His promises are precious within this word. Exceeding great and precious promises. His blood is precious. His word is precious. His blood is precious. His promise is precious. And his faith is precious. Precious faith. We're to contend for the faith. Once handed down. Not defended. We don't have to defend the Word of God. Spurgeon says the Word of God is, is like a lion. Let it loose and it'll defend itself. And when it's let loose in pure, unadulterated power and fire and anointing, let me tell you, it'll slay all before it. But it's not slaying today because it's not going forth in purity and in power in many places. It says that see here Spurgeon saw more people healed physically healed in London the time of his ministry than all the hospitals in London put together. How did he do it? By anointing with oil? No. How did he do it? By having healing meetings? No. How did he do it? Some of the trash you see on the television. People falling all around them. How did he do it? He done it preaching the word pure and adulterated gospel of the word of God. Or not only physically, not only spiritually saved, physically healed in thousands through the Word. The Word has a healing power. And when we let it loose in power, God will touch the ailments in the body too. You'll not have to run to some of these boys. And the sad thing about it in our land, and it grieves my heart, there's very little old-fashioned preaching old-fashioned preaching of the Word, of the Word of God. We have to preserve it and we have to proclaim it. It's like David's sword that killed Goliath. There is none like it. Now look at verse 17 again. I will wait. There's the word first of all. Verse 17, there's the waiting. I will wait upon the Lord. That word wait is there is to consistently and continually wait. Now let me give you a lovely illustration of this this morning. Just you hold on to these two verses now at the minute. Don't let your mind wander. We're talking about waiting on the word here. The word wait here means to consistently and continually wait. It talks about a slave in the olden times who was selected by his master into an upmarket restaurant or hotel. He was allocated two tables with guests on them, dignitaries on them, maybe kings or queens. 
He stood far enough away back from the table that he wasn't watching the meeting and that they were, he wasn't a distraction to them. But that professional waiter stood there just looking after these two tables of people. He wasn't watching the meeting, but he could know every move they made. And as soon as one of them lifted a finger and nodded the head or called him over, he was there. That's what it means here. That's what it means here to wait. We know very little about waiting today. He hid his face from them at the table and they hid his face from him, but he was there. And all the move and a wink. And he was at their side. You see, once we get the word of God into its rightful place, once we believe it and obey it and proclaim it, then and only then is he ready to turn his face toward us. Some of us are waiting a long time on the Lord to move. Some of us are waiting, but we can't dictate for him when to move. He'll move in his own time. When he's ready and not before it, but we must have everything in order. Tell me this, you ask the Lord to move. You ask the Lord to speak to you. You ask the Lord to answer prayers for certain things in your life. But have you the word in its rightful place first of all? Because remember, he has turned his face away from us because of we haven't obeyed the word. But once we can examine our heart and we can say, Lord, there's nothing that I know between Nick and me. And Lord, I'm waiting now. I'm waiting for you to move. It's a lovely place to be. But you'll not dictate to him when to move. You might have all in order, but that doesn't mean that he'll move. Because his timing His timing has to be perfect, perfect. We may have to wait for a while. We may have to have patience for a while. We need to stand fast and hold fast and trust in the Lord and wait patiently for him. In his time, he'll turn his face to you and come. So you see the word here, and then you see the waiting here, and then you see the watching here. Verse 17, And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Israel, and I will look for him. That word look is the word to expectantly, longing, and yearningly watch. Look. It's the same word as lift up your head and look up. Can you see this waiter? Can you see him standing there with a towel over his shoulder? Can you see him in business there, fully taken up with his guests? Can you see him waiting, patiently waiting, standing in the same place? Can you see him looking and yearning and gazing in that sense as we for God? Lift up your head and look up. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. There's a waiting, there's a watching, and there's a wondering in verse 18. Look at verse 18. I'm taking these very quickly this morning because I spend a Sunday morning on each of them. Behold, I am the children of whom the Lord has given me. By the way, those are not the they. Those are. The they is in verse 19 and verse 21, verse 21 and verse 21 again. Verse 20. Those are the they, these are not the they, these are the children of God. There's a difference here and we need to draw that distinction in this chapter. Let's read verse 18 again. Behold, I am the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. The people of God should be a wonder to the world, you know. We should be a wonder to the world. And we are a wonder to the world if we're living right for God. And you know, we're a wonder to carnal Christians. We're a wonder. This, 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 this work of God for 34 years has been a wonder. It's not a bit of wonder the devil has tried to destroy it so many times. 
This work of God here is a wonder to many. All over the, all over the province, and if not the nation, where we're getting texts back and internets back from many places, and way down in the Bantry in Cork, and way down in the south of England, and the one, one, one reading, one in ten minutes of one another, people are wondering how we go. The only reason that we go at all is because God is with us. And people wonder, they wonder, how can you, how can you have three, they said three prayer meetings a week? How can a hundred pass through the prayer meeting? How can you have 70 in on a Wednesday night and staying on to quarter past ten praying? How can it be? It's a wonder to many. This work has always been a wonder from the day that it started. But look at verse 19, we have the warning. And when they, and now we're on a different crowd now. When they, when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have a familiar spirit, and unto wizards such as peep and mutter and moan, should not a people seek unto their God? Would you not be better seeking God than criticizing and talking? For the living to the dead. You see this word familiar spirit. You know what that word familiar is? It's the word peace. I want this to sink in this morning. It's the word shalom. It's the word used in Jeremiah, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So, so they, they, there's a crowd here speaking peace. Do you know that that's the same word used in Psalm 41 regarding Judas? Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did not eat of my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Tell me about that. He was among the ranks, Judas was among the ranks all the time, casting out demons, preaching, praying. And the word of God says, you, you, you don't listen to them. You watch them. That say peace, peace when there's no peace. And they say all is well. You know there's many pastors and ministers in the evangelical churches across Northern Ireland would tell you all is well. Oh, are we churches doing well? We have people coming in from other churches and things are going well. We have right wee crowd and talking to a man one day, we have a great minister now. I says, why is he a great? He says we had a no board or some sort of an oversight meeting the other night and he led it powerful well. I said he'd need to lead a, do something better than lead a meeting. There's a warning here. There's a warning here. These that say, peace, peace. And then they're saying, you don't need to go to God. You need to go to the dead. That's what they're saying. We'll, we'll, get, we, we'll hear the dead. This necromancy calling on to the dead. Do you know that 75% of English people buy the national papers to read the stars? Do you know that? Think of that. Is it any wonder our nation has gone godless when they're turning, the people of God are turning and some of God's people turn to charms and they turn to everything else to get healing for their children and they're never in a prayer meeting. Boy, that's a mighty verse. Seek unto them. That's what they'll say unto you. Seek to, oh, don't, God's not able to do it. He's not doing it. There's nothing happening. Your child will die. 
Run to some boil, but a but a boiler, some old spell of some old ungodly father. Put it on him and he'll be all right. He'll go to hell and they will. And why is it? It's because there's no light in them. They're as dark as the night. When are we going to trust God? When are we going to abandon all over unto God and say, Lord, I'm trusting, I'm waiting, I'm trusting on Thee because Thou hast promised. What a shame. Charms and cures and all sorts of things going on. Bad enough in the world, but amongst God's people. Look at verse 20. To the law and to the testament. That's the testimony of our Lord and the testimony of his word and the word of God. To the law and to the testimony. He emphasized that the second time. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And don't you be listening to boys saying, we have a wee word, wee word. I'm sick listening to this wee word business. And I'm sick seeing, and I'm long enough on the road, and I'm sick and tired of hearing people say, God, give us a wee word to come out. I've got it from the light, but there's people who give, God, give us a wee word to come out. You're too hard. You're too rough. There's no love. And I could name you dozen, at least a dozen, that left here because they didn't want the word preached the way I'm preaching it this morning. And they went, and some of them have been in six places since they left. Oh, we have a wee word from the Lord now to start up something here. Aye. Six months and a year, two years, the whole thing is closed up. I tell you, when you get a word from the Lord to do something, you'll go and do it and you'll know it's from the Lord and you'll stick with it. You'll stick with it. When God gave me the word to come here, I remember getting down on my knees and saying to the Lord, I'm going out here with this. this all I knew I had was Claire and Karen and Pat and Alan Barkley. That's all I knew that I had. Because they told me they would come with me. I didn't know of anybody else. I said, Lord, if only Karen and Claire and Pat and Alan Barclay's there, that's all I want. I'm going anyway. Why? Because I had a word. And I'm glad I had it. For many a day I had to go back on it. The word. Now look at verse 20. 21. And our time is gone, but I will have to do this this morning. And they, that's the ungodly, <clears throat> and they shall pass through it. Now that can refer to Israel and Judah passing through the captivity. It's not speaking, but it's also speaking about the great tribulation period. It's also speaking about the last days that we have in Revelation. What makes you say that? Well, it refers to the great tribulation period if you have a marginal reference in your Bible so that you'll not say I'm reading anything into it. If you have a marginal reference in your Bible beside this verse 21, you'll have Revelation 16. Now, if you haven't a marginal reference biting, you need to get one. Now, I want you to see that now. Revelation 16 is the middle of the tribulation period. And all hell is breaking loose. It's the day of the Lord. The day of gloominess and thick darkness. And we read at the end of this verse 22 that Joel talks about. It's the day of God's wrath when the earth shall quake and the heaven shall tremble and the sun and the moon and the stars shall no longer shine. We are speaking now about the period the Lord Jesus says in Luke 21. He says there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars upon the earth. Distress of nations, perplexity, seas roaring, tsunamis. 
men's hearts failing them because of fear. Yes, this here applies to the captivity, but it also applies to the great tribulation period, which I will show you as we come to a close this morning. I was astounded about a month ago. Astounded when I turned on the GB News. And the front man to it, Alistair Stewart, here's what he said, and I'm quoting what he said for I wrote it down. The four horsemen of the apocalypse of Revelation 6 are about to ride in. Now whether that was a quote from himself or he was quoting somebody else, I don't know. Can we not hear the hoofbeats? And if you read Revelation 6, you'll get the horsemen of the, the apocalypse, the famine, the death, the pestilence, the disease, and so on. And I pen this underneath it, the stable doors about to be unlocked. And the sinner's door is about to be closed. Because before we go into the tribulation, the church will be gone and will be raptured and will be taken out and you will be too late to get saved by. Look at verse 21 again. And they shall pass through it hardly bestead and hungry. That word bestead means they're beside themselves. Grievous, fierce, shocking, awful, unprecedented are some of the words you can write around that word bestead, pressurized, hungry. If ever we lived in a day of hunger, spiritual hunger. And I could spend a whole morning at this one verse itself, but I want you to turn in closing to Revelation 16. Take your time now, we're turning to Revelation 16. This chapter that's referred to here. And there's so many similarities to the verses that we have read, these last couple of verses in Isaiah 8. I think that Revelation 16 is the most shocking chapter. It's the most awesome chapter in the Bible. It's the six vials of God's wrath being opened up in the great tribulation period. Verse 8. That's the fourth one. And verse 10 is the fifth one. And these are the two that we're dealing with here just in these verses this morning. Look at verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. One angel was commanded by God and given authority to God to switch up the thermostat on the temperature of the sun. And do you know that if he switched it one way, a wee bit one way, we'll burn to death. If he switches it the other way, we'll freeze to death. So here it's over to God now. Not over to man. It's over to God now. This is in the the great tribulation period where men and women who are not saved will go through it. Don't you listen to those who tell you that we're in the tribulation because when you read this and the like of it, you will know very well we're not in the tribulation. Once the rapture comes, once we've taken out then, we go over to the seven years and these are the last part of it. You see that word scorch, verse 8, to scorch men, verse 9, and were scorched with a great heat. That word scorch means to burn and to blister and to be on fire. Not in one place of our body, but all over. This is a madman with a blowtorch running after a naked man. 
I tell you, if we could get a grip of this this morning and know that our children are going to be there, if they go to hell, they're going to be there. They're not even in hell yet. They're not in the lake of fire. They're, they're going to be there. We would stay in our belly all night. You know what it's like to get a burn on the, on the, on the hand, a wee tip on the hand, don't you? Well, the sun has turned up here by God in the great tribulation and they're scorched. They're blistered. And all the time they blaspheme the name of God. So don't say that you can get saved when you like. For twice in, this verse, in these verses, they, they repented not nor give him the glory. In verse 9 and verse 11. They repented not. Don't you think you can get saved whenever you like? Trials and afflictions will not bring men to repentance. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the grace of God that leads men to repentance. God can visit men out there this morning with the most horrendous diseases and pains and suffering and accidents and tragedy and they'll curse God. The only thing there's hope for them here, there's no hope here. They blasphemed the name of God. Watch this in verse 9. Which had the power over the plagues. Not the scientists here. It's not that we signet up and dormant here. It's not the epidemiologists here. It's God has the power over the plagues. I'll tell you there's nobody here now talking about global warming. Or warming. There's nobody here talking about fossil fuels or carbon dioxide. As Sam Gordon says in the book of Revelation, this is no Indian summer. This is no freak atmospheric upheaval. This is the sun so strong that it'll boil the oceans and melt the, melt the power caps within minutes. The G8, the G16, and the G25s will not be calling on the kings and the presidents and the, and the presidents and the big great men and the, and the mighty men to go to David and Switzerland for an ecological conference. It's not ecological, it's theological, it's God that's here. And when they go to that place, in that, there they'll call, I'll tell you what they'll do, they'll call, it says in the Bible, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, every free man, will hide in the dens and the rocks of the mountains as they fall on us to hide. They'll be calling on the mountains of Switzerland to fall on them from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. Do you hear preaching like this? God forgive us for not preaching these old truths in Revelation. God forgive us for not warning your people. The modern evangelical church has twisted the second coming of the Lord about so much that nobody wants to preach it now. They're afraid. Look at verse 10. For there's worse to come as a close. God help me, what an awful way to close a morning meeting. But awful or not, friends, we have to face it. We have to face it. How can we live? How can we go about our jobs and our work and our holidays and all without a burden, without a passion, without a long? That this day is coming, it's coming. The wrath of the Lamb is coming. It's over to God then. These old modernists and ecumenists will not talk about this. No, they'll say these men are mad. Talking nonsense. Get away from about them. Get out into a wee church where we'll sing and clap most of the day. Most of the morning and then we'll bring a wee word. It's finished with. God's sick and tired of it. He's sick and tired. Look at verse 10. Verse 9, for men were scorched with great heat. 
blasphemed the name of God with his power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him the door. And the fifth angel poured out, if, ba- if one wasn't bad enough, the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness. There you are. And they gnawed their tongue, their tongues for pain. That word is they chewed their tongues and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deed. They chewed their tongues in pain. And they're not even in hell. They're not even in the lake of fire. Remember Jesus said, he says if you die in your sins and you go to hell, he says it'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine your boy, your girl? And if, if families, if, if, and I say this with a heavy heart this morning, if children from many Christian parents in Northern Ireland go to hell and go here into the tribulation without Christ, I have an idea that they'll curse their parents for the way they lived. Daddy, did you pray for me? Where were you, Daddy, when prayer meetings were on? Had you any concern for me, the way you lived, the things that you did, and the things that I watched you doing? Criticizing and talking? Doing shady deals, fiddling the income tax on the vat men. Father, you never prayed for me. Yeah, you expect them to pray. And the most beautiful place that I can be on a Monday night and a Wednesday night is in here. And I say that from my heart. And to see people weeping over their children. If we had a conception of what's going on, if at any moment he was to burst the cloud and come again and take us out. It'll be too late. Repent. Now. Before it's too late. John the Baptist came preaching repentance. Jesus came preaching repentance. Paul came preaching repentance. God preached repentance. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. And flee to the ark, to Christ. And flee to safety. And flee into a fellowship where you're told the truth and where the word of God is preached. Let us pray. I was going to say I'm sorry, but I heard Martin Lloyd-Jones saying one time, we should never say sorry for preaching the word. Boy, I'll tell you, what's 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes in a meeting like this? When we think of an eternity in hell, We're not going to sing and I'm not going to the door. Stephen will go to the door and he'll be about if anybody wants to speak to him. And I ask those of you who go, go quietly. And let us remember the Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you will take what has come from thy heart. I pray, Lord, that anything that has been said in the flesh, anything that's of me, 
Search my heart, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that this word will will reach into souls this morning. Father, we preach and preach and preach and preach words like this. And yet it doesn't seem to take effect. Father, we cry for one young man, one woman, one, one father, one mother, this morning to repent and say, I'm wrong and I need God. Make this an uncomfortable day. Make it an awful day for the sinner and an awful day for the carnal Christian. An awful day for all of us when we think of what's round the corner. And let us thank God this morning with all our heart that we're saved from this wrath to come. Thank you, Lord, for the blood and for the cross and for the day and hour we closed in with thee. But, oh God, help us to be up and doing that we might snatch men and women as brands from the burning, pulling them out of the fire. Oh, God, we can't bear to see sinners go to hell. Make hell real to us. So real to us that we'll throw down our tools and stop our jobs and knock the neighbor's doors and tell them don't go to this awful place. All I say, Lord, thank you for saving my soul. Bless those that must go. May the table take on a new meaning this morning as we gaze upon the blood. Amen.